Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Dr. Diane Duckett, and welcome to another episode of Becoming You. This podcast is to help assist you in becoming a better, successful you in life and in business. I am delighted to share with you today on just that. We know that becoming a better you takes work. In fact, it takes a lot of work, work that we sometimes really don't want to do ourselves. Today, I want to talk about the Moses Code, the most powerful manifestation tool in the history of the world, part two. Well, hello there. Welcome to another episode of Becoming You. I am so uh, grateful and delighted and excited about you being here tonight as we continue on with the book, The Moses Code, the most powerful manifestation tool in the world, the history of the world by James F. Twyman. Yes, The Moses Code, the most powerful manifestation tool in the history of the world. The last time we uh, spoke uh, on the podcast, uh, you had uh, an assignment to do where you had to write down, you know, a goal that you wanted to see manifest in your life, um, maybe, you know, next week, this year, sometime this year. And so you were given an exercise where you had to uh, write down that goal and fully use your um, breath breathing techniques to get you to really uh, feel the power of the goal that you are trying to manifest. Um, And one of those uh, exercises was to inhale uh, the words, I am that, and then when you exhale, you would say, I am. And then uh, exercise number two, you was to take a uh, list, all of the things that, you know, you wish to have, you wish to manifest and just choose one out of all the ones that you listed, the one that, that you really, really, truly felt uh, connected to and take that and now visualize you uh, basically in a movie, uh, seeing yourself in the movie, having this um particular uh, thing, goal that you want to have manifest in your life, 
uh, to visualize it and see yourself, you know, really manifesting it. And even looking at the people that are in this movie with you and listen to the conversation uh, of uh, what they were saying or what they are saying about this manifestation, about this goal. Um, and so hopefully you are able to do your exercises and uh, set, set a time. Uh, you were able to set a time. I'm talking too fast. You was able to set aside a time to really focus on that goal and really visualize uh, what it is that you uh, are wanting to manifest um, in your life uh, uh, this year. So we're going to continue uh, with the Moses Code, the most powerful manifestation tool in the history of the world uh, by James F. Twyman. I hope that you were able to uh, download it from Amazon.com uh, where you can purchase this book. Um, and so now we're in Chapter 3. We've already uh, went over the introduction, chapters one and chapters two. Um, and so now we're in chapter three and, uh, hopefully you will gain, um, some more insight on how, uh, you can, um, use the words I am to manifest the goals that you are truly wanting to manifest on this, on, in this year, rather it be, um, in your business, rather it be on your job, Wanting a promotion, wanting more financial stability, uh, better health, um, better relationships, whatever it may be, um, any area in your life or all areas in your life that you want to see great things manifest um, in your life. Uh, this is the book that I believe that will help you to understand how uh, you can manifest uh, those uh, those um, things in all areas of your life. And so we are in chapter three of the Moses Code, the most powerful uh, manifestation tool in the history of the world. So chapter three, uh, Ramses the Great. How was Moses, elderly and altogether forgotten, able to stand before the most powerful man in the world and compel him to free the Israelites from bondage? Is there a difference between the worldly force welded by the Pharaoh and the divine energy that Moses was able to generate by using the name of God? Let's remember that Moses, a formerly well-respected member of the royal family in Egypt, was forced into exile and had been tending sheep for 40 years. If, we, if he was around 20 years old when he was uh, banished, he would have been 60 by the time his encounter with the burning bush took place. That doesn't seem very old from our perspective, but in the time of Moses uh, reaching the age was almost unheard of. The average lifespan of a male was approximately 40 to 45 years old. Taking that into consideration, Moses would have been around 90 by today's standards, clearly not possessing a great deal of worthy acumen of influence. On the other hand, Pharaoh enjoyed all the power of the known world. It's hard to imagine what it would have been like to rule a country like Egypt at this time, but suffice it to say that his dominance is legendary. Many of the most innovative architectural achievements in history are attributed to this era, and the Pharaoh Ramsey was the king of kings. Let's take a deeper look at this significant character in this drama. Ramsey II, or Ramses the Great, is often regarded as Egypt's greatest ruler. 
He was responsible for constructing some of the most elaborate cities and temples in the region, as well as leading his army to spectacular victories, establishing the Egyptian empire as the most powerful force on earth. He was born around 1302 BC and is believed to have taken the throne sometime in his early 20s, ruling from 1279 to 1213 BC, a total of 66 years and two months. Some claim that he lived 99 years, but it's more likely that he died around the age of 90 or 91. This would mean that Ramses knew Moses is personally uh, uh, knew Moses personally when he still lived among the royal family. Although it's unclear if if he was uh, if he was aware of Moses' Israelite Israelite roots, uh, Ramsey the Great accomplished many things in his life. More than three thousand years later, his regard as one of the most prolific rulers of all time. He focuses before the Battle of Kadesh, the war that ultimately secured his command, was building temples, monuments, and cities. He constructed the city of Pi-Ramses in the Nile Delta as his new capital and main basis for the Hittite War. The city, which was established to honor his immense, was situated on the remains of Arvis, the capital of ha uh, Hakus. This is also where the temple of Set was located. Pi-Ramsey was a sacred city for uh, Ramses because it was it's where, uh, it's where he supposedly harnessed the energy of the deity Set, Horus, Ra, Amma and his father Siti. In other words, Ramsey was imbued with the power of the gods, a quality that surely aroused uh, the interest and contempt of the Israelites with the monotheistic religion. But regardless of these disputes, the king had ascended to the godlike stature where godlike stature and was the very essence of authority and might. It's easy to imagine what Ramsey must have thought when Moses felt first entered his lavish and uh, stately palace, did he recognize him? Perhaps a distant memory, uh, a distant memory from his own childhood. Did he remember Moses' fall from grace and flight uh, to safety, never to be heard of uh, from again? At least until the moment, all we know for sure is that Ramses wasn't all of. Uh, wasn't at all impressed, for it was clear who was in command. Moses undoubtedly arrived in the garments of a wandering shepherd, while Ramses was attired like a god. Moses may have stood for the Israelites, but they were slaves who uh, whose sole, sole importance lay in their strong backs. The Pharaoh represented everything that was uh, civilized and good, in the world, the embodiment of worldly statue and power. Moses, it seemed, didn't stand a chance against him. But that isn't how things turned out. Moses was most likely assured of himself as Ramsey was com uh, confident. As the shepherd entered the room to face the Pharaoh, he probably wondered not only if his people dreamed of freedom, was about to end, but if his own life was about to extinguish as well. 
His initial escape from Egypt secured his continued existence. But now, after many decades, he'd been commissioned by God to return and face a different kind of music. The Pharaoh's majesty would have made Moses' chosen simplicity seem naive and unsophisticated, which wouldn't have fared him well. But there's another possibility to this scenario. The fact that Moses finally did decide to follow through on God's request may have signified that he was certain of his ultimate victory. God told him that using the sacred name would give him authority and power. And it seems that Moses was convinced. It is possible that Moses had experimented with the cold before making the journey. If he done so and witnessed for himself the creative force inherited in God's name, then he'd have stood before Ramses empowered and confident. How would the Pharaoh have reacted to such a self-assured? The fact that Moses wasn't immediately punished or killed illustrates that Ramsey, uh, chose to, Ramses chose to entertain him at least for a little while. His command eclipsed Moses to such a degree that he might have been somewhat curious. Ramses would uh, reserve the right to change his decision, putting Moses and the Israelites back in their place as soon as his curiosity wore thin, which is, in fact, exactly what happened. Moses began by asking Ramses to grant the Israelites a reprieve from their work, allowing them to go into the desert for three days to make sacrifices to God. Ramses was apparently uh, astonished by the request and did the opposite. Until then, Egyptians had been pro uh, providing the Israelites with enough straw to make the bricks for construction. Ramses, in order to show Moses who was really in charge, forced them to gather their own straw, thereby doubling their work. But Moses kept coming back, insisting that God's wishes be fulfilled. It was now time to prove once and for all that Mo uh, Pharaoh's reign and the will of God were on a collision uh, course, and the king would surely lose. If this were a Western, this would be the point where the showdown takes place. Moses had been practicing his manifestation techniques, learning how to turn his staff into a snake and turn water into blood, as well as other strange and phenomenal demonstrations of power. But this was happening at a time when magic and uh, magicians were at uh, were a great resource, especially for a ruler of Ramsey's stature. When he was finally in front of the Pharaoh, Moses threw down his staff and it began withering upon the ground. The Pharaoh's musician uh, uh, performed the same transformation, but Moses had the upper hand. The snake representing God's in misery ate, ate the Pharaoh's snake and the contest was, and the contest was on. Um, although Ramsey's magicians were able to duplicate some of the miracles Moses manifested, it's clear that they weren't, weren't winning the competition. A series of plagues then descended upon Egypt, apparently at the behest of Moses using the power of God's name. As recorded in the book of Exodus, the, miracle, the miraculous occurrences included the following. Rivers and other water sources were turned to blood. 
And this is found in Exodus 7, chapter 7, verse 14 through 25. Frogs, found in Exodus chapter 7, uh, verse 26, and uh, chapter 8, verse 15. Lice, chapter 8, verse 16 through 19, Exodus. Either flies, wild animals, or beetles, found in Exodus chapter 8, verse 20 through 32. Diseases on livestock, found in Exodus chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. Unhealing bulls, found in Exodus 9, verse 8 through 12. Hail mixed with fire, found in Exodus 9, verse 13 through 35. Locusts, found in Exodus 10, verse 1 through 20. And darkness, found in Exodus 10, verse 20 through 29. Little by little, Ramses realized that he was up against a power he didn't understand. At one point, he even agreed to let the Hebrews have their three days of sacrifice, but only if Moses reversed the plague of frogs. When all of the frogs suddenly died, leaving behind a terrible stench throughout the region, the pharaoh became so angry he rescinded his promise. This ultimately led to the most terrible plague of all. The firstborn child of each, of each Egyptian family suddenly and um, inexplicably died. As we expose this final blow to the Pharaoh's evaporating position, an important question needs to be answered. After all, the uh, God presented here in most books of the Old Testament is very different from the God described by Jesus and many other great prophets. In this story, Moses has been given the vast energy inherent in the name of God. And it's used to wreak havoc upon the Egyptian population, even including murder. The God of the Old Testament. We may do well to ask ourselves if the stories we've been passing down, the biblical account of Moses and the Israelites' ultimate victory is completely accurate, or if it has been conveniently embellished over the last 3,000 years in order to back up the claim that the Israelites are the chosen people of God. The God we're, president, uh, we're, presented, uh, with, uh, we're presented with in the book of Exodus is jealous and uh, vindicative, quick to react with the chosen emissary as ignored. This doesn't reflect the more modern version of God as an unconditionally loving deity. In many ways, I've been mixing these two accounts in this book portraying a beloved, um, compassionate God while still relying upon a uh, um, decidedly more ancient concept of a supreme being who desires obedience at any cost. So which of these depictions is true? Is it impossible for us to know for sure how much of Moses' story is factual? Scholars and theologians have struggled with this question for years. And since I claim to hold neither of those titles, it might be best to leave this for others to debate. What we're concerned with here is something more significant. Regardless of whether the story is completely accurate, what can it teach us about ourselves today? What can it teach us about ourselves today? The lesson in my opinion, is to realize our oneness with the divine, which was accomplished at least for a while by Moses and the Israelites through the use of the holy name. 
we're just beginning to understand that this name contains mysteries that have eluded us until recently. In the appendix, I've included an article written by the sound healer Jonathan Goldman, which reveals a startling discovery regarding the mathematical and uh, vibratory properties of the name of God. These mysteries indicate that there was a powerful intention behind the holy name and even how the story of Moses was presented. Most people are often aware that the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, seem to contain uh, messages and prophecies that weren't uncovered until complex computer programs were used to break the codes. The Bible Code, a book by Michael uh, Doran, became an international sensation when it revealed that uh, texts in the Torah prophesied and prophesied the assassination of Israelite, uh, Israelite prime minister Yitzhak Rabin. I don't think I pronounced that right. Y i t z h a k. Apparently, uh, Rabin was told not to attend the ill-fated event in question, but when he decided to ignore the warning, it cost him his life. And even earlier, seeking a seeker of hidden messages in the Bible was Isaac Newton, who believed that the Bible is a cryptogram set by the Almighty, the riddle of the Godhead, the riddle of past and future events divinely foreordained. This prophecy is called the Revelation with respect to the scripture of truth, which Daniel was commanded to shut up and seal till the time of the end. Until that time comes, the Lamb is opening the seals. Suffice it to say that the mysteries of the Torah are vast, so it's no wonder we're still discovering the uh, the enigmas contained within it. But why has the Moses Code been so overlooked? The book of Exodus, the second book of the Torah, describes the method in which the Israelites were released from Egypt and ultimately led to the promised land. This feat was uh, achieved by creating miracles stimulated by Moses using the name I am that I am, or in Hebrew, the fact that most Orthodox Jews choose to put away the sacred name or speak it only in the temple meant that its true function was forgotten and the, uh, and the original pronunciation was lost. In the meantime, two other religions, Christianity and Islam, were born from the original root of Abraham, but by then the name had already receded from attention, at least as it was originally intended. But there was one person who didn't forget, Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. By using the words, I am, Jesus declares that he is one with God, made evident in the next verse by the scribes and Pharisees' reaction, then took, uh, then took they up stones to cast at him. Jesus didn't simply say the name, he claimed it. To the scribes and Pharisees, this was the ultimate blasphemy for their vision of God was unapproachable and beyond human connection. When Jesus came along and basically said, I am God, they responded in the heart, the harshest uh, manner. 
And yet this is the essence of the Moses Code, the realization that we're all one with God. And one and once uh, realized to act with the power and passion of God in the world, when Jesus did this, miracles followed him everywhere he went. He was the embodiment of the name of God, even to the point of conquering death. From our perspective, this is the ultimate and highest objective of the Moses Code, to realize our internal nature and transcend death in a similar fashion. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, John fourteen twelve. And this is true, then, the ability to perform miracles sleeps inside each one of us. The ability, the ability, the ability, the ability to perform miracles sleeps inside each one of us. A Course in Miracles, a modern spiritual text, says that uh, miraculous occurrences are natural and indicate an alignment between God and our own consciousness. It also states that there is no order of difficulty in miracles. For example, creating a parking space in an overcrowded parking lot operates according to the same laws as uh, raising another person from the dead. Alignment with our source, otherwise known as God, is the key. And and uh, when this is achieved, anything is possible. Calling upon the name of God joins us with the source of power that enables us to create miracles. It acts as a bridge between this world and heaven, drawing into our lives everything we need to be happy and completely fulfilled. Today, we live in a world where we're safe from being stoned to death for harnessing, his divi- for harnessing this divine energy. In fact, there is no reason for us to hold back any longer. Thousands of years have passed since the world received this gift, but it's needed more now than it has ever been before. And so here's an exercise. I like the part where... It talks about um, we have the ability to perform miracles uh, that sleeps inside each one of us. And so when we understand this uh, ability that God has given us through the I am, through I am, um, we have uh, the ability to wake this up out of our sleep because it's in each and every one of us. And if we want manifestation, that's why they say you have to like visualize the man, visualize what it is that you want to um that you want um, to be manifested, right? And so if there's like healing uh, of the body um, that you want to um, manifest, you know, where you're healed, um, it's already on the inside of you. You can actually heal yourself, but you have to believe that, you know, when you wake, when you wake this ability up, that um, the healing is going to take place. The healing is going to begin. As a matter of fact, all you got to do is touch yourself and say, I'm healed. And if you believe um, in the power of I am that you're healed, guess what? You are healed. Um, and so I love that part when it says, um, uh, you know, we have the ability to perform miracles sleeps inside each one of us. Um, and so we have this ability um, and we're able to wake it up um, from the inside of us so that we can see the manifestation take place. Here's an exercise that they're giving us for 
um, uh, for this particular chapter. And this is, um, if you still have your notepad from last time, um, you have exercise one, exercise two, and here is exercise number three uh, that you're going to write down. So uh, get your paper out um, and your pen or your pencil and begin to write down what exercise number three is going to bring us towards. <clears throat> so exercise number three, here it is, overcoming limitations. That's your exercise, overcoming limitations. So when Moses stood before the Pharaoh, he was confident in the role given to him by God. But because of a de uh, debilitating speech impediment, he was unable to speak to Ramsey without the help of a friend. So like Moses, we all have similar obstacles that rob us of our self-confidence. Perhaps you've experienced a difficult childhood or have some form of physical limitation. Begin by writing down a list of the factors that may be blocking you from achieving your heart's desire. Also leave a space after each of these for the next part of the exercise. So uh, I want you to go ahead and write that down, all of these factors that may be blocking you from achieving your heart's desire. And make sure you leave a space after each of these um, so that you can um, use it for the next part of the exercise. Once you've listed the limitations in your life, let's balance them with the Moses Code. Turning them over to God to be used just as God used Moses. Go back and read each of the things on your list. And then take a deep breath. Ask yourself, how may, how may God use this to bring love into the world? Alright? I'm going to say that again. Go back. And read each of the things on your list. And then take a deep breath. Ask yourself, how may God use this to bring love into the world? For example, if you wrote, my parents are both alcoholics. On the next line, write, this experience gives me compassion to deal with others with, um, with uh, addictive behavior. Now break the sentence down. So let me let me give you the example again. My parents are both alcoholics. And then on the next line, you're going to write, this experience gives me compassion to deal with others with addictive behavior. Now break the sentence down to one word that amplifies the positive intention. In our example, it would be compassion. Having parents suffering from alcoholism has given you the compassion you need to help others choose one or two or of three of these uh, I'm sorry choose one or two of these words as you go through your list and write them write them on a separate sheet of paper so that they can be easily seen now we'll turn back to the Moses code while looking at one of the words you wrote down one that reflects the gift you've received from your so-called limitation, begin the chant. If your word is compassion, breathe out saying, I am that, as you feel your heart filling with empathy and loving kindness, then inhale saying, I am. Knowing that God has claimed this quality with you as you. Stay in this awareness 
and continue to chant until you feel eleven by this new mindset, realizing that just as Moses used the code to uncover his gift and overcome his limitations, so can you draw upon this gift whenever you need it. All right, so that was exercise number three, overcoming limitations. Chapter four, a conversation with God. One of my greatest mentors and dearest friends over the last 10 years has been author and scientist Greg Braden. Uh, when we first met in 1998, the two of us, along with Doreen Virtue, decided to embark upon a great experiment to see if a large group of dedicated individuals could impact world events through the use of an affirmation-based form of prayer. We set a simple goal. Choose a specific place in the world uh, where corporations and compassion seem present anywhere but there and project um I'm sorry but there and uh project the feeling that peace prevails now. We've conducted this experiment in Israel, uh Iraq and many other locations and we're convinced that this type of prayer is not only a powerful force but perhaps the most powerful force in the universe. Here's an example of one such experiment. In 1999, the U.S. and its allies were on the brink of war with Iraq. Saddam Hussein had forced the United Nations inspectors out of the country and there didn't seem to be any way to avoid an international conflict. Greg Doran and I were speaking at a conference in Florida on November 13th and we decided to announce a worldwide meditation, praying peace into that, tenu that, that tenuous and dangerous situation. Emails were sent through many online communities, and by the time the moment of the visual uh, arrived, hundreds of thousands of people from around the world were joining us. We were on stage together leading the prayer, which was being broadcast over the Internet, and we could feel the energy. I remember thinking that it was raining peace, but it wasn't until the next morning that we realized just how powerful the effect had been in Iraq. According to the morning news, President Clinton had decided to begin the bombing campaign the evening we were engaged in prayer. In fact, fighter jets had been deployed and were waiting for the final orders. But precious time passed as the pilots wondered about the delay. Then, to the astonishment of um, everyone involved, Clinton ordered the jets back to their ships. Some moments later, as if considering the command, the jets were sent back into position. Once again, the go-ahead to drop the bombs never came, and the jets returned with their weapons uh, couch, uh, catch still filled. A stand down order had been given, but no one really knew why. Does it amaze you to know that this happened at the same time as hundreds of thousands of people were focusing on peace for that region? Hopefully it doesn't surprise you at all, for that would mean you already accept the power found within the secret tool 
for manifesting for manifest for manifesting anything you desire, including peace. What we were able to do on an international level, you can accomplish in your own life. An impossible mission. Imagine being Moses, an old sheep herder whose glory days had long since passed. When God asked him to go to the mo most powerful man on earth and ask for the release of most of his workforce, the word impossible seems too small here. Yet Moses hardly hesitated. He immediately began the journey to the Pharaoh and made his demand, knowing all too well the response he received. But he wasn't dismayed, for he knew he held a secret that the Pharaoh could never understand. A secret that had more strength than an entire army. It took a short while for the Pharaoh to be convinced, but when he realized that neither he nor his own magicians could ma uh, match the power Moses wielded, he opened the doors and let the Israelites leave Egypt. Now you possess the same secret as Moses, the sacred name of God. When you learn how to unleash its amazing energy in your own life, you'll discover what the greatest minds in history understood. The power of God is within you, and you can do whatever you want it. You can do whatever you want with it. You've actually been using it all along, just without your conscious recognition. Now that you're aware you can use it to create goodness for yourself and everyone around you. In this book, the code, the guide code, Greg Bregman, Bregden puts forth the premises that God's name is literally encoded into every human body. According to Greg's research, the basic element of DNA, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, and carbon, directly translate into specific letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Y-H-V-G, which then translate into another one of the original names of God. He believes that when we realize the signature of God is carried within the cells of every person on earth, humankind will have the evidence it needs to overcome evil with good. In short, we'll be able to achieve the greatest desire of every human peace beyond christian jew muslims hindu buddhist shinto native uh white black red or yellow man woman or child the message remain reminds us that we are human as humans we share the same ancestors and exist as the children of the same creator and the moments that we doubt this one immutable truth we need look no further than the cells of our body to remind, to be reminded. This is the power of the message within ourselves. The Moses Code is in our bodies, in our minds. Every cell sings the same song, the song of creation, and every heart beats the rhythm of the melody. It's an energy that transcends anything our mind or our minds can comprehend and unites us with elemental forces that evade the intellect. The most learned scholars on earth will never be able to dissect the complexity of the secret, yet the most innocent among us resonate with it already. 
It is who we are. And when we unlock the code, we're really unlocking the deepest part of our own nature. So how do we tap into the Moses code within us? If the name of God is within our very DNA, it stands to reason that it's the actual foundation of our lives. God's name then creates a renaissance pattern that when activated aligns us with anything we desire, no matter how large or small. As I mentioned earlier, a course in miracles says that there's no degree of difficulty in creating miracles. In other words, a big miracle is no one uh, or is no more difficult to create than a small one because they operate according to the same laws. Once we understand these laws and apply them, wondrous happenings will naturally occur on their own. This means that there's no limit to what you can achieve. It doesn't matter how much abundance you envision, how happy you want to be, what kind of car you want to drive, what style of house you want to live in, or what type of relationship you want to enjoy. If you understand and apply the secret found within the Moses Code, attaining all your goals will be no harder than manifesting $20. In essence, unlocking the code means entering into the same conversation with God as Moses did. The fact is that we're engaged in this dialogue every moment of our lives. We sometimes call this prayer, but for most of us, our concept of praying is very limited. In reality, however, every thought is a prayer that creates a magnetic attraction, pulling whatever we're thinking about into our lives. Unfortunately, we tend to think of prayer as asking for something. We want uh, we want based on what we think we need or don't already have. If we pray and don't receive what we want, then our prayers of petition sometimes turn into prayers of corrosion. The Red Bike. There was once a young boy who heard about using prayer to attain what he wished for. His parents told him that if he asked Jesus for what he wanted, with enough conviction, then Jesus would surely give it to him. That night, the boy knelt down at the side of his bed to pray. Dear Jesus, I really want a new red bike. My mother told me that if I pray hard enough, you'll give it to me. Please give me a new bike. The next morning, he woke up to find there was no bike. That night, he knelt down again to pray. Dear Jesus, I really want that new bike, and I believe that you'll give it to me if I pray hard enough. Please give me a new bike. The next morning, once again, there was no bike waiting for him. The boy was making final preparations for school when he passed the mantle where a statue of the Blessed Mother was resting. He found a piece of rope, took the statue, from the mantle and wrapped the rope around it. Then he put it in his backpack. When he arrived at school, he opened his locker, placed the statue inside the locker, uh, inside and locked the door. The night before getting into bed, the boy knelt down to pray once more. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, the point is that the moment 
petition no longer works, we immediately turn to corrosion. If I can't talk God into giving me what I want, maybe I can force the issue. The Moses Code doesn't work when you ask for what you want, but rather when you feel and know that you already have the thing you're, ask, you're seeking. Then the very thing that you're seeking is automatically drawn to you because the universe doesn't understand lack. It knows only abundance because God only gives or expands. Even though the task God was asking Moses to complete seemed impossible from any rational frame of reference, Moses confidently went forward and changed the world. When we enter into the same conversation with God, with the confidence that everything we ask for is given to us, then we will do the same. The issue isn't whether or not it's been offered, rather whether we are able to open wide enough for it to be received. That right there is powerful. That right there is powerful. It says the issue isn't whether or not is being offered. Rather, whether we're able to open wide enough for it to be received. We have to open ourselves wide enough to be able to receive that which it is we want. The problem is that our conversation with God are usually one-sided, not because God doesn't answer us, but because we usually don't listen to the answer. God answers by giving us what we ask for. It's that simple. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Do you think those are just nice words that he didn't really mean? What if Jesus meant every word? What if it's, it's a law that works every time, whether or not you're conscious of it? Think about it for a moment. God gives you everything you ask for every time. That can be a pretty scary thought if you're surrounded by what you think you don't want. Guess what? There's no such thing as not wanting what's in your life. I wish there was a way to soften that terrible blow, but there's really no way around it. The sooner you realize that fact, the better. Because then you'll start taking full responsibility for everything you experience, not just the things you, you like. If you go around believing that you've asked for some uh, things to happen but not for others, you'll never be able to break the Moses Code. You'll be sentenced to a prison of your own design, sitting behind a door that isn't even locked. Touch it and it swings open. But only when you consider the possibility that you have the power of God within you every moment of your life. You build the prison. You condemn yourself to it. You throw yourself into a cell and you close the door. There's only one problem. God didn't give you the power to lock it. Let's stop for a moment and give thanks. This is good news, for it means there's a built-in default system completely beyond your control. There's a part of you, a very big part, that doesn't want to hear what I just wrote. In fact, it will do anything it can to avoid it. 
even at the cost of your own happiness. When the ego is forced to pick between happiness and victimhood, it will always choose being a victim. This is one of the strangest honorees of your ego's life in that it doesn't have your best interest at heart. Your ego would rather see you suffer than accept the truth. Why? Because the truth requires you to become responsible for everything that happens to you. Ah, this is too much to embrace. It would prove that everything you've ever experienced, both good and bad, has occurred because you wanted it to. It means you aren't the weak little body your ego wants to believe in. It means, Houston, we have a problem. It would mean that you have the power of God within you and there's nothing beyond your control. As I've said before, this is something to give thanks for because now you have the wisdom and ability to make a new choice, one that reflects your freedom instead of your bondage. When you make choices from freedom, the result is more freedom. Once you accept that, you can receive everything you desire by simply recognizing that you already have everything you want and then more of what you wish for will be drawn to you. Once you learn the Moses Code and practice it, your abundance will reflect your freedom and everything you've ever desired will be yours. Everything in your life is there because you called it into existence. In other words, it's impossible for you not to use the law of attraction simply because you've always possessed the creative power of God within you. It isn't something you can begin to practice, but something you've always done. You create as God creates, drawing into your life all the things you focus on and love. If there are things in your life you don't want or that don't serve your highest good, the question isn't why are they there, but why do you love them so? Do they represent something you haven't yet discovered? Perhaps they're the limiting beliefs of limiting beliefs or concepts you hold that would prefer to control your life rather than release it. If this is true, then the question becomes, do you want to continue uh, fueling them, attracting more and more evidence of your insufficiency, or is it time to finally release them into the light? Why do we love our inadequacies? The response will vary from person to person, but the simple answer is that our deficiencies prove the belief that lives right behind them, that we are unworthy or of receiving the gifts God intends for us. We don't deserve love, happiness, and peace. Instead, it's more likely that we deserve separation, sickness, and death. This is what the ego would have you believe, but your soul, which is always aligned with God's will, has a very different idea. God's will for you is perfect joy. However, you can't enjoy this until you share his will. For without your consent, God will be working against you rather than with you. Until now, most of us have said, I don't deserve anything. So blessed. Is this true? Have your past deeds really blocked God's love? which has the power to flow past these errors. 
if they have, then we all have a very big problem because to one degree or another, we're the same. Fortunately for us, they haven't. It's time to realign your vision of yourself with the vision of God who sees you as perfect and whole regardless of what you've done in the past. God's love is unconditional and there's nothing you can do to interrupt it. Accept this and love will flow into your life. Continue to hold on to the ego's uh, illusions and love will be blocked even though it's certainly still present. Exercise number four. God's will for you. So here's exercise number four. God's will for you. On a blank sheet of paper, make two columns. One for your beliefs and one for God's. In the first column, write down a list of some of the beliefs or experiences you've manifested in your life. Perhaps you're not uh, consistently happy. You continue uh, to live a life of sacrifice and lack. You think you're not lovable or you believe you you believe you don't deserve to be loved. God wants you to be happy every moment of your life and abundant in every way. Therefore, you've been trying to contradict God's will. And in doing so, a struggle has ensued. It's time for you to finally admit that you've lost this struggle. If you have to do battle with anyone, let it be with God because it's a fight you'll always lose. You don't want to win the Eagles War, but it leads nowhere except to your continued unhappiness. When you surrender to the divine within you, all the blocks to the gifts of God are removed and his love will naturally flow toward you. Now, in the second column, write down God's answer next to each thought or uh, uh, next to each thought or belief you listed. For example, if you wrote, I don't deserve to be rich, on the opposite side write, God's will for me is perfect abundance. If you wrote, I'm not worthy of a perfect relationship, in the second column write, God's will for me is perfect partnership. Once you've added God's vision next to your own, make a conscious decision to choose God's. You're, you'll achieve this by using the power of your feelings, just as you did in the previous exercise. What emotion will you choose? Let it be joy. Read each of the items in the second column, those corresponding with the will of God, and use the feelings of joy to attract them into your life. Then just as before, initiate the feelings of gratitude, giving thanks for this new decision you've made. Once that's, in once that's in alignment with God's vision for you, if you choose so, your life will begin to shift in this moment. Let it be so, and it is. And this concludes the chapter uh, four. So we've read chapter three and chapter four uh, for this particular podcast. Hopefully you have written down uh, the exercises and uh, you're going to apply it uh, to your life. I hope that you're enjoying enjoying the uh, uh, read as we continue uh, next week for chapters uh, five and six uh, of the Moses Code, the most powerful manifestation tool in the history of the world by James F. Twyman. Um, so yeah, all just remember that, you know, everything is on the inside of us. We have the power and the ability to wake up 
what is on the inside of us to manifest what it is that our hearts desire. Um, and so as we are having conversations with God um, and God is um, conversating back with us, he will begin to tell us exactly what it is that we need to um, let go as far as our ego is concerned um, and these, and also to the limiting beliefs that we hold against ourselves, the bondages, the prisons that we put ourselves in, that, you know, we can let that go so that God's will for our life can manifest in fullness, um, and in the way that God sees us, uh, moving and being. So this is how everybody, we can become ourselves, right? We can become who God has created us to become because we're, putting in the work to really uh, allow God's will to take place in our life. And so if you have an ego problem, let's get rid of that ego problem so that God can uh, begin to show you what it is that he desires for you. Um, so yes, the Moses Code, uh, the most uh, powerful tool, manifestation tool in the history of the world is a great um, read. And so if you want to grab this book, you can grab this book from Amazon.com so that you can begin to read it for yourself and you can do some annotation. You can highlight um, some important um facts or important information uh, that sticks out to you, something that is resonating with you so that you can chew on it and ask God how, you know, what you, how, what God wants you to be and do um, in that moment as you are chewing on that piece of information. So I am so happy that I'm able to do this, read for you. Um, all I'm not like um, this great, great reader, but of course you got to do what God tells you to do. See, when God gives you an assignment, you cannot deny the assignment. Um, even though you may not feel like doing the assignment, God is going to do something miraculous through the assignment. So you have to walk in obedience so that God can get the glory and so that you can see all of the manifestations that God wants to um, happen in your life. Because I believe that once you begin to um, walk in obedience and doing what God uh, is asking you to do, when God sees that you're faithful, over a little, that he will make your ruler over many, many things. And so the small things that, you know, you may not want to do, God is asking you to do, that is to get you to the next phase of your becoming. That is to get you to the next phase of uh, being in God's will uh, for your life. And so um, my prayer is for you is that you'll take these tools and that you'll allow these tools to be able to manifest what it is that, you know, you are hoping to manifest in your life. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Becoming You. I'm Dr. Diane Duckett, and thank you for listening to another episode of Becoming You. Have a great day, everybody.